I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1959, the album, An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer, the artist, obviously Tom Lehrer, and my guest this week is Nell Scoville. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So, okay, now, full disclosure, you're here to talk about this album, but I want to make sure people up front know about your book. Uh, so let's talk about that first, and we'll talk again about it at the end of the episode. Oh, great. Well, it's called Just the Funny Parts, and a few hard truths about sneaking into the Hollywood Boys Club. And it's about my 30-plus career writing comedy, but also directing movies and uh, working on The Simpsons and Letterman and Monk and some other fun shows. Perfect. Um, and it's it's a delight. I have not finished it, but I have it right here. It is just so much fun. And the thing is you've written written on, worked on so many things that I grew up loving that it's that it's um that kind of thing is overwhelming when I read, oh, oh, she worked on everything that I loved. Like it's 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 <laughs> you wrote one of my favorite Simpsons episodes. I mean that's that's enough for most people, but you also wrote on so many heavily influential you wrote on can we talk very quickly before we get into this? Uh, you wrote on the revival of the Smothers Brothers show, which I've only seen the original series. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was really my first job uh, on staff at like a, at a network show. And I was hanging out with Harry Belafonte and oh Martin Mull and just so many people who... Um, I just, it, it was like being through the looking glass, like I had stepped through the television. And, you know, Tommy Smothers was um, one of my first TV mentors, and he's so funny. And uh, people should listen to their albums. They're, yes. they're hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're some of the first ones we talked about because, uh, and we don't, nobody picks them. Almost no one picks them to talk about on the show, but they are my absolute favorite albums. And uh, yeah, agreed. They're they're yeah, wonderful. You know what's so funny is like I they came up. Go ahead. With such a clever notion, which is, you know, and this is what SNL struggles with all the time. Like, how do you start a sketch, and then how do you finish it? Mm-hmm. What the Smothers Brothers did is they started with a song, then Tommy would jump in and interrupt, and they would do their comedy sketch. And then they would do, they would finish the song and the audience would know it was over and everyone would applaud. And it was just this very organic way to, you know, it, it was like the M&M candy around the chocolate. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really, I mean, I find that format delightful as well. Um, the, uh, uh, sorry, somebody just called. So I got totally distracted from what I was about to say. Jesus, I am, I am, uh, the worst interviewer on the planet. Uh, but no, I, it's just nice to have somebody on this show who not only appreciates the Smothers Brothers, but has worked with them when they, they talked about, there's a documentary, a great documentary people should watch called Smothered where, uh, it's so, so good, but I just love very much that their ethos was, well, CBS asked us to come back. They wanted us to be, you know, uh, pushing the edge again. And they said, no, screw yourselves. We're going to, we're going to be kind of middle of the road now. Yeah. We're going to, that was their rebelling. Was there going to be middle of the road? I, 
What a bunch yeah. of what a bunch of smart asses. I love it so much. Uh, that's so good. I love that. That's one. That's an amazing first job. Like that's phenomenal. I, did it? How yeah. how did it prepare you for working in the various different like writers' rooms, including you know having to deal with uh, all the dudes you've had to push yeah. your way through? Well, I mean, it was weird because it, it was me and like five guys who were all in their fifties. I was in my twenties, oh, so it God. actually didn't really prepare me in that. It, it was just I was never in that situation again. Yeah, and. It made me really happy when I was then with peers who sort of shared my sense of humor more to, um, you know, working with like Conan O'Brien and Greg Daniels. And sure. it did make me appreciate that. I get that. That makes sense. Uh, so why did you pick An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer in particular? Well, I am. I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, and that was very far away from Hollywood and the entertainment industry. So to me, the biggest star on the planet was Tom Lehrer, who taught at MIT and made these really funny albums. And so there was something accessible. I could, you know, breathe the same air as he did. I love that. He He's a guy who has this... There, uh, his air is so incredibly. Um, I don't know how to describe his manner, but it's it's very easy to parody in terms of like he's very he's as East Coast as you're possibly going to get. Yeah, and yeah. but he's also this delightful mix of 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 highbrow and lowbrow. This album, I mean, it opens uh -huh. with a song about poisoning pigeons, but sung beautifully, you know, and played uh, right. more than competently. Um, All the world is in tune on a spring afternoon while we're poisoning pigeons in the park. <laughs> and, you know, it's just he, that it is my favorite, that twist from, you know, the, the love, the lovely day. And then you just the gut punch of, of poison. And it's classic black humor, which really appeals to me as a kid, um, and it seems so subversive at the time too. Mm -hmm. Did you? And he's very buttoned down. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the spectacle. He had gone to Harvard. He was a, a prodigy. He went to Harvard at fifteen. He was a math genius. Um, and so there was, you know, I was from this super nerdy family. So they're just like. He was all that, but he was funny, too. Yeah. So that was really captivating. Um, and then kind of, it's, it was subversive, but not mean. And I really think that's what I loved about his comedy. Yeah. Did you, was this an album that was in the house growing up or one that you bought yourself? This is my, my parents went and saw him perform. He didn't perform. He only performed. There was like a three-year window, I think, that he um, he actually did performances, and so they brought this back. And, and you know, we I wore it out. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh, did you? Was it something you listened to with the family, or did you get to take it aside and listen to it yourself a bunch? So I mostly, I think, I listened to it mostly by myself. And I, I was pretty young because I do remember we've got one song called The Masochism Tango, uh -huh. <laughs> which is all about a guy who's, who's being, you know, 
burned and <laughs> you've got you caught my nose in your left castanet love <laughs> i can feel the pain yet love <laughs> and i had no idea what a masochist was uh-huh. so it also had that little thing which is so great when you're younger where you know it's something kind of naughty uh-huh. <laughs> but we didn't have the internet back then too so it's not like you could just say you know what is quora what is a masochist <laughs> so I knew it was kind of weird and sexual, and um, so that that also, again, was one of the reasons, I think, why I listened to it alone, is because I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. But I, uh, but I also love that it was still fully endorsed by your parents, that still was like, no, yes. this, this is okay. This is, a, this is a cute thing that we can get, get away with playing in front of the kids. Well, but he also, he was so clever, you know, he did this whole song about Oedipus Rex that, um, <laughs> you know, is based on, on uh, the, the old Greek tragedy. Uh, so, like you said, it was really highbrow. So you have, he's poisoning pigeons, and then, um, you know, he's singing about Oedipus Rex, but it's all to this incredibly jaunty tune Um and I remember the last lines are um, that, uh, so be sweet and kind to mother, now when men have a chat, buy her candy or some flowers or a brand new hat, but maybe you had better let it go at that, <laughs> or you may find yourself with a quite complex complex, and you may end up like Oedipus, I'd rather marry a duck-billed platypus than end up like Oedipus Rex. <laughs> So there's a lot going on in here, uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's all about the, the boy who loved his mother, um, and there's the wordplay, which I love, the complex, complex, there's sure. the, you know, reference, the literary references, and then there's just the silly, you know, rhyming Oedipus with platypus. Yeah, it's this wonderful combination of... There are subtleties. Uh, there are definitely ham-handed moments when he wants to, uh, or when he's act. He can act out in. Again, he, he, he there's sometimes when he'll he does these little winks with his voice, where you know when he just yeah. when he says loves his mother, he just you know he over exaggerates it a little bit, where it's just so like <laughs> a, hilarious and also a little disturbing as it should be. Uh, but you're all in the joke together. Yes. Right, and you're laughing so much. Like, oh, and and you're right. He is winking through the whole thing, but there's this deep cultural knowledge that he's playing into. Do you think that is a uh, an element of the time or an element of him more? What What do you think? I uh, I don't know whether it, it was also he he chose. Um, you know, this genre of, of musical comedy, which is its own thing. And, and in fact, some of his songs are just fun riffs about different musical genres. He does a version of Clementine, if it had been written by, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Um, or, and, and that's, you know, it's just playful, and you feel like he's having fun. Um, and and is inviting you into his little quirky world. Yeah, there there. I think like some... it doesn't feel like he's commenting on the world. Right. I see what you're saying. 
some some people I think when they talk about Lara, I know that we've talked about before Lara and other comedians uh, in years past. Uh, there is a reference to comedy being a bit more literate. <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> pardon me. More yeah. literate. Um, and I don't. I'm wondering if that's true. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, you, you've written for The Simpsons. You've written for The Critic. You've written for a lot of things that I would consider very literate, especially for being cartoons. I mean, it's in, they're written by people with, you know, a, a level of education that uh, uh, maybe belies the slapstick to some people. But um, I don't know. Is 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 comedy less literate or is it just better hidden? I mean, what 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 are your thoughts? Well, I think if you're talking about you know cultural touchstones, uh, I think society is less literate mm-hmm. right now. So, you know, the idea of someone getting up and talking about, um, you know, they'll talk about Fifty Shades of Grey, or you mm-hmm. know, it's, to me, it's always funny when someone does a lean-in joke. Um, uh-huh. You know, which was a big bestseller that I co-wrote. Uh, but for the most part, we're not all reading the same books. Right. That's true. Is, uh, is, is this a result of saturation? Because, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, now cultural touchstones are... I have friends my age. I'm 38. I have friends my age who can reference YouTube performers and and sh- and they I'm like are yeah. you 16 what world am I living in that I don't understand any of this and I feel so old but they're my age yeah. so I I don't know yeah. if it's a saturation <laughs> thing uh if it's just more people finding finding their own little tribes to be a part of I can't quite put my finger on it I mean I think Pat Oswalt is a very literate comic yep I you know and and I think um trying to think who else i don't know and i i well, you know he's a very good example but he he's also one of those people who will make who can make so much out of even a simple reference from a comic book or something seemingly small yeah. but he does find a way to suck people in to these or at least make them accept this one reference as something they understand i mean albert brooks is is another i mean he that hasn't done stand up for a while but i find his movies are literate he has a great war and peace joke in looking for comedy in the muslim world <laughs> that uh-huh. just popped into my head he's talking about procrastinating and and decides that tolstoy probably waited to the last two weeks to write war and peace <laughs> brilliant yeah. Did you ever listen to Albert Brooks's albums? Because uh, I'm more familiar with his albums than I am his movies, which is maybe strange. But <gasps> oh no, but I do his movie "Defending Your Life." I think is yeah. might be my favorite movie ever made. It's an essay about life, death, how to live with courage and make your life meaningful. It's and it's hilarious. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. He's he's a guy in terms of comedy albums who, while he didn't invent the meta comedy album, he definitely made it uh, a much realer thing than people had done before. He did it in, in these very strange ways. So, like, I, I'm so much. It's weird that I'm more aware of his groundbreaking comedy in terms of his albums than I am his films. But uh, boy, yeah, I know I'm definitely missing out. It's it's a weird thing. I ha- I have a I have these weird blind spots unless it's a comedy album. At least in the last 7 years, there's a good chance I haven't seen it or heard it. It it's very weird. Um do you have a favorite track off of uh An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer? 
I do, as a matter of fact, which I've been saving, and that's the final song, We Will All Go Together When We Go. Oh, it's so good. Every hot and pot and every Eskimo. <laughs> and it's got maybe one of my favorite lines uh, in all of poetry, lyrics, literature, which is, um, I mean, it's about the end of the world. It's about nuclear war. He actually, I think, worked at Los Alamos. Uh, for wow. a little bit, and then comes back and writes a song about we were we will all go together when we go, and he says when the air becomes uranius, <laughs> we will all go simultaneous. <laughs> <laughs> and it, again, really dark, dark black humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it starts with when you intend a funeral, it is sad to think that sooner or others will do the same for you. Um, And it it may appear as tragic, not to mention other adjectives. (laughs) Rhyming tragic and adjic, and then putting the tivs at the beginning of the next line. He had, you know, he clearly loved wordplay. You know, I I love Sondheim, too. Mm -hmm. And so Lyra found that place sort of between my love for comedy and my love for musical theater. Yeah. The, <laughs> that song is so darkly satisfying. It, it's one of those things that it, it it's obvious. It's a march. It's, it's, it's supposed to be so celebratory of the worst, yes. the worst possible ending for us all. And at the time and many times since has seemed to be the most likely end for us all. So it's, it's, um, I don't know. Even thinking about it makes me sad and makes me happy at the same time. I, they're they're irretrievably linked when it comes to this song. It's that's why it's so powerful. I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you do you ever find yourself? And I guess you've had opportunities, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily made its way. Have you found opportunities to reference Tom Lehrer specifically in your work, or is it? something that might just be a subtle, it's made its way into your DNA? Oh, it's definitely in my DNA. I don't know about it in the work. I did, he, he after teaching at MIT, he moved to um, UC Santa Cruz. Right. And about, I would say 10 years ago, I tried very hard to um, get in contact with him. And mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to make a pilgrimage up there, um, and uh, he's—I guess—he's become quite a um, you know, recluse, and I, I couldn't get a response. So that made me sad. I wish yeah. I knew how important he was to me, and I'm sure so many other people. Yeah, I know. That's—it's one of those. Uh, great regrets I have that uh, I started a podcast after he decided he wouldn't give interviews anymore. I did call him once and I said, hey, I would love to interview. He said, you know, I don't do interviews, right? I'm like, I had heard that, but I just wanted to check. And I was like, okay. Well, you got further than I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have his phone number and I can, I'm can. i happy to give it to you. It's up to you what you do with it. Uh, Let's dox him. No, <laughs> okay. I will, I will uh, respect his um, desire for pro- privacy. I hope he did get my note, though, because um, 
because I put some time into it, okay? <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. I mean, here's the thing. If if your knowledge and memory of these lyrics is anything, uh, any indicator of how much you love his work, and I think it is, uh, then of course you did. Of course you spent a lot. Have you ever seen, speaking of uh, having this stuff memorized, uh, number one, how much of the Elements song do you have memorized or do you just have bits and pieces that you particularly love? Well, I that was never one that like spoke to me. Okay. But I have a I have a son who's now a junior at Harvard and studies finances, and he was singing it by the age of twelve. Uh-huh. So that's, that's, uh, in fact, he just sang it over Thanksgiving. We did a little talent show. Oh my God! He, he brought it out, but he he it, it annoys him that he didn't do the elements in the right order. Um, <laughs> so. But, you know, at the end, he rhymes discovered with Harvard uh-huh. <laughs> in just the most delightful way. Oh, my God. It's I love shoehorns like that. He does them with such glee where you could never get angry at him for doing them. I It's, yeah. it's so funny. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen Daniel Radcliffe. Harry Potter himself is a giant nerd for that song and has the same tendency. He likes to sing that song. Basically, I don't think you could stop him. If uh, if it if it comes up, it's very weird and it's adorable to watch. Um, yeah, that's very funny to me. I the the people who this album has had this the uh, this subcultural influence that I don't know if I given the different people who have come to talk about his work on my show, given the fact that he spread. Well, given the fact that he hasn't performed in what I know 50 years, I know it's insane to me. Or 50 years, let's say. Yeah. But that, so that he still is revered and loved and sung at Thanksgivings mm-hmm. <laughs> by nerds. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, uh, let's let's make no, sure that think, caveat's in there. No, but you, you know, you're right. And I do think you can draw a line from Tom Lehrer to Simpsons and Futurama and maybe even Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. of this sort of like dark nerdy humor yeah and i think he's the father of that oh absolutely absolutely i he's what i do appreciate about these though is that for all 11 songs that are on these albums on this album uh there is a full story in each one of them these could be just Uh little praises they could just be and a sketch they wouldn't have to be as complete as they are but they're all complete they're all. I think there's well, a story in each one of them. Yeah, and musically, they're right there. So it's not that's not an afterthought. They're right. Um, and uh, yeah, I just watched some of the Adam Sandler special uh-huh. that just went up, and he he does a lot of little songs, and they're they're funny, but it's all the same twist at the end, and then he died, kind of thing. Right. And you're like, all right, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, these are each unique and weird in its own way. But, you know, and, and I also say, like, when I was a kid, there was, you know, you had, like, Don Rickles. Uh-huh. And, like, I don't like insult humor. Or there, there was, you know, the slightly smutty guys, the bad hope leering at the girls, and I didn't like that. Or you had the self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and... None of that really spoke to me, but what got me was Tom Lehrer, and then next um, was Monty Python. 
Yeah. And listening to that album over and over. How do, okay, here, I've never had an opportunity to really talk to anybody else much about this. You would not believe Monty Python has picked less than you would think on this show. Um, how in your mind do the album sketches compare to the TV show? Well, the album I listened to was, excuse me, um, the album I listened to was basically the parrot sketch. It was from the TV show, but we didn't get to see them. So we just, it was a radio show okay, yeah. of the TV sketches. Right. Um, and, and I loved them. And those were great too, because those, unlike Tom Lehrer, my parents like didn't get them at all. Sure. Of course. Of course. I mean, timing wise. Yeah, that's for for if they were adult, you're lucky that they, they love Tom Lehrer. But there's no way in hell Monty Python was going to track, I don't think, for a certain generation of people. I could be wrong, but it does seem like that is just just out of reach, just barely out of reach. Their, their albums are wonderful. And I, I personally prefer the albums to the TV show much as I love the TV show. But I think the albums oh, are better. Yeah, I think they're I don't know. It could. It's because I think they you can it looks like a tv show and it's fine i love them but the albums yeah. they spent so much time sound designing them uh because you know especially when they were recreating them from the tv show there let's let's we got a little more time to maybe tweak this make it a little better you know so they had more well, time Miss Ann elk now that i'm thinking like i've never seen was miss Ann elk ever a tv sketch i just know it from the album let me see because is is that on now the album you had was that the one with the foot Remember on the cover? Brackets, Miss Brackets. Yes, right. Uh, yes, it was. It was on the TV show. And see, and this is like I had um, I had to look it up to be sure because again I'm more familiar with the albums. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll I think that from that if it's the one I'm thinking of, if it's the album with the foot on the cover, which is one that I have on my wall. Um, oh really? Oh, I love that. It's a good one, yeah. If that's the one you were listening to, then yeah, those were all from the show. Although, to the best of my knowledge, they were recreated for the album and and remixed and and uh, kind of redone to tweak them a bit. What was on another Monty Python album? That's what I'm looking at now. Uh, yeah, I think that was it. Uh, oh yeah, that one is delightful. We talked about that uh, a few months ago with a gentleman out here. That's it's it's again it's all mostly stuff from the show, uh, but again heavily heavily um, edited and with with sound effects. And the funny part is, I don't remember how old he was at the time, but the, their producer uh, was seventeen when he first started working with them. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, and they were recording in his shed in his backyard. <laughs> And then the other album I listened to a lot, I didn't listen to Bob Newhart um, or Albert, but um, I'm a little ashamed to say but Bill Cosby. Well, I mean, to, we all loved Bill Cosby. Album. We all yeah. loved Bill Cosby. I mean, what are you, you going to do? We didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're brilliant. We didn't know. They're brilliant. Yeah. I mean, they're in many ways perfect comedy until you then realize what my, <laughs> what diseased mind was writing them up. So it's like, okay, well, I'll just reassess. You don't have to reassess yourself. Just reassess his comedy. You know, it's rough. But, I, do, but I don't think um, – I, I think kids like them because I don't think they were that smart and that they – Actually, he did funny voices. I don't think I would have liked them as an adult the way that I can still enjoy Tom Lehrer. Right. No, that's that. That also makes sense. It it does not have. It's not on the same level. It's not. 
coming from the same place at all. Um, oh, we, yeah. didn't, we didn't even talk about Alan Sherman. Oh, right. Either. Did you grow up yeah. with Alan Sherman? Was that uh, something after Tom Lehrer? I'm curious. For well, you before. And... Hello, mm-hmm. Mutta. Hello, Father. Oh, of course. A little, but, you know, again, like, I sort of was intrigued, but that one didn't grab me. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Tom Lehrer was the assimilated version uh-huh. <laughs> of, of that. But, yeah, those were the big ones. And, and then I got to college, and then Steve Martin, you know, was huge at the time, and so we listened to uh, those albums of constantly. Course. Of course, yeah. what, was there? Were oh man! So the first two albums, his the first two. I'm assuming Wild and Crazy Guy and uh, Let's Get Small were those the ones you listened to. Let's Get Small was the one I loved. It was that one with the oblong and Have Your Knees Removed. Yes, the, yes, the song. yeah, brilliant. That was the one. That's another and again, one. That, like yeah. weird wordplay. Mm-hmm. And, what were you going to say? Uh, no, that's just another one that we've covered a million times on the show, but I don't get tired of it. That's one that we've spent entire hours talking about, maybe six or seven hours. But it's one that it's, it's so universal. And I don't, again, I don't know why. And I don't, maybe it's uh, the people I pick to have on the show. Could be. I might just gravitate towards people who happen to love that particular album. But it's got, oh, man. And it's 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 this guy on the verge of conquering the world. And it's so weird to know that and listen to it at the same time. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Do you, uh, so you have, um, how different is your trajectory in terms of, so you wrote, if, if the internet is not lying to me, you wrote for the Harvard Crimson. I did. I wasn't on the Lampoon. I was a sports writer, mm-hmm. um, which was a way to work on the newspaper, write, but not have to be super serious. Right. Okay. <laughs> Um, and I like sports. I grew up in Boston, so we, you know, the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Bruins were all great. Uh, and uh, my first job, um, professional writing job, was writing sports for the Boston Globe. And uh, then I moved to New York, and I uh, just caught this wave when um, I got hired at Spy Magazine. Right. And that was incredible. That was just, you know. I was so lucky, too, because just thinking about sense of humor and how, like, I hope everyone who wants to go into comedy when they're young can find themselves in a place where you're encouraged to push boundaries. Yeah. The way I was at Spy, where we all sort of share this kind of subversive sense of humor and instead of saying, you know, no, no, that's mean, they they were like, no, go further. Yeah. Oh, that's comforting. <laughs> and by mean, I mean, like, we always, to be hoisting someone on their own petard is the greatest thing Yeah, you can do. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, that was, the, and then, you know, I jumped from there to Vanity Fair, and one day ran into an old editor who said to me, Nell, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think you could write for television. <laughs> and that was the first time it ever occurred to me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is not the typical trage- I mean, there, again, uh, and I don't know how comparatively uh, in terms of uh, male to female on, on the lampoon, I don't know what the... I don't know what the metric there is. I don't know what the the um, yeah, ratio is. Yeah, it was so is. hard. There, there weren't that many when... Um, 
But then, when I was in college. So you were writing with humor. Were you shooting for writing comedy at the time, or you just weren't sure what the outlet would be for it? No, I, I think, again, growing up on the East Coast, I just I didn't even know people up for TV. It yeah. seemed like a, a profession, and everyone in my family was funny. My siblings were funny. My aunts were hilarious. My dad's super funny. And so funny was just, you know, everyone valued it, but it wasn't like, you know, I'm going to devote my life to comedy. Yeah. So, uh it was pretty great, though, when I figured out you could. Right, of course. And it's so much fun, like, when you're in a really great sitcom room and people are getting paid to make each other laugh. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, you know, a, a hard day at the office means you're, you know, you've been laughing all day. Right. I mean that's a nice that's a that's a wonderful support system not only for creativity maybe for the ego a little bit too. What sort of environment did you find was oh, oh this is actually helpful. I'm actually getting better writing out of this writer's room or this particular arrangement because I know that some are more toxic than others. I'm just curious if maybe what the most powerful ones were for you. Well, in just the funny parts there's a whole chapter about what I call the 3 P P's which are people, process, and product. And it's the way I sort of judge every show I've been on because there's the people you, you work with and you have to interact with all day. There's the process, you know, shows that there was a, a famous showrunner who used to make the entire room stay um, in the office to watch Letterman. And this is back when Dave was on at 1230. So those are long days. And then there's the product. And, you know, are you making something you're proud of? Is it popular? Because those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Like the critic is a good example. And um, it's really rare you get all three. And it's actually pretty rare that you even get two. Uh Usually you're happy with one. And um, in the book I say that the two times I really feel like it was just, um, I couldn't wait to get into work each day, were uh, one Murphy Brown. I mm-hmm. was there on the uh, 60s, and it was right after Murphy had her baby. Mm-hmm. And it was a great group. It was It's interesting. It was a 40-60 split, female-male. Uh-huh. And it was really the first time I had come from coach, where I'd been the only woman in the room. And before that, I'd been at Letterman and Newhart, where I was usually the only woman in the room. Um, and getting to Murphy, which had uh, a female EP, and really everyone was funny in that room. I loved that show, and mm-hmm. the actors were really gracious, and um, the hours weren't bad. And then the, the other time was Sabrina, where which I created, and I was the showrunner, so obviously I thought <laughs> the, the product was great, and the people was great, were of great, and. Um, I worked hard, but it was really a joy. Ah, that's so good. For, out of curiosity, on Murphy Brown, during your year, year, years there, was there there any Dan Quayle stuff at that period? I'm fascinated with the (laughs) vice president, so I have to ask. With Dan Quayle, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm specifically obsessed with the vice presidency, not necessarily Dan Quayle, because he's a bit of a weirdo. But, um, you know, uh, I was just curious if that happened to overlap when you were there with any of the Dan Quayle stuff. Um, No, I mean, I was joking with a friend recently who was on the show about the Dan Rostenkowski jokes and how (laughs) those don't hold up anymore. (laughs) 
anymore. I remember a Bob Dylan joke. Bob Dylan was on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they were kind of... The, the Dan Quayle stuff had happened, I think, the year before. Okay. And they, we were really trying to pivot away from too much of the spotlight. I think Candace once said, you know, you want to be on the front page of the arts and leisure section, not the news section. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, when it, I, I'm just, I was just thinking, too, since we started talking about the Smothers Brothers, when I was working on that show, I had just moved from New York and had no place to stay. And uh, CBS had rented Tommy this huge apartment, and he, he offered to let me stay in the um, maid's room. And it was on this street right near the um, Chateau Marmont called Havenhurst. It was kind of this famous Hollywood building. Uh-huh. And one day I was waiting for the elevator, and I looked over, and there was Betty Davis. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I I don't know if like will future generations have that same reverence? I you know I guess like certainly Meryl Streep or you know we we still have our Hollywood royalty. Sure. Um, but you know you didn't see those people in real life back then. I mean right. they would go on talk shows. You'd see them on Johnny Carson every now and then, but it it's not like they had Instagram accounts. Right. Right. And you don't have it's not there was a period of time where people very quickly went from stage to film or from radio to TV, where there are these huge technology leaps and these huge leaps of of uh, where people could kind of follow them and obsess over them in these different ways or from silent to sound, whatever we sure we've got the Internet, but there's oversaturation for one and for two, there's not this. I don't know. I you you sort of you're traveling with them. It would be like if if The Simpsons or any of these other shows had started out as something else and had gone on to become huge in a different way. You're weirdly invested because you want to see what happens with them. And I don't know if I don't know if that's an actual element or if I'm just completely pulling that out of my butt. But it sounds like it makes sense. <laughs> Did I answer the question? Oh, I, you answered it. I actually now I'm thinking about it. I didn't ask. Um, I never talked to Candace about her father. I read her book, Knock Wood, which uh-huh. is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's really a great uh, a Hollywood memoir. And, uh, you know, Wally Shawn was on the show, so uh-huh. I got to hang out with him oh, a little bit. So and wonderful. They were good friends. Oh, my God. That is, um, oh, that's that's a dream right there. I've played him on stage about eight or nine times, and he is the dream. I want to meet him very badly. Very bad. well. When I so I wrote an episode called the Fifth Anchor, and the idea was it was right after 60 Minutes had just done a big reunion show. Maybe it was even 20 years, 25 years, and so we decided that FYI, this fictional uh, show that Murphy Brown's on, should do a reunion, and we discover that there used to be it was called the Fifth Anchor, <laughs> and his name was. Um, Best, which was a combination of Stu Sutcliffe and Pete Best. <laughs> and, and Wally Sean comes back and we find out that he was on the first few episodes of FYI, but then was fired and he never knew why he was fired. And he comes back for the reunion and learns that it was Murphy who got him fired. Oh, no. Um, and it's, he's hilarious. And that she yells at him at one point and he makes that little sad face and uh it's 
it's so much fun. And one of the nicest moments of my career is Candace came up to me during rehearsal one day and said, I just want you to know that Wally said to me that he didn't think he could have written this character better himself. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, my God. I love, you know what, now I'm going to have to go stream that episode because I I don't remember it for whatever reason. And I'm going to, I'm going to go now watch that because also anything he's in, I will watch. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, so good. He's a genius. I actually, I have a friend who's doing a podcast and it sounds silly and he knows how silly it sounds, but it's a lot of fun. It's called My Minute with Andre and he goes minute by minute <laughs> of My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> and it is a fascinating, that guy put up with me doing Wallace Shawn impressions for two hours straight, basically. And uh, <laughs> I, I will tell you, that's a great, that's a great show. Worth it. It's weird, but it's it's definitely worth it. And it, just Wallace Shawn ca- is captivating. I don't know what it is about him, but it, he's captivating. Couldn't well, I tell you? Well, he's unique. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at a time when everyone's trying to run to the norm and um, he's just himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you... Okay, so what I like to do is I like to have people recommend this the album if they want to. I'm assuming in your case you do. In a couple sentences, why listen to An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer if you've never heard of it or if you've never heard of Tom Lehrer? If you like good writing, both words and music, uh, with um, a dark sense of humor, and you might just learn something. I love it. I love it. It's perfect. And it's dark as hell. Uh, it ends with the darkest, most <laughs> delightful march off in, into the fucking sunset that you've, you'll ever listen to. Uh, well, I've been thinking <laughs> of that song a lot these days with the political climate. Yeah. We all go together when we go. Hard not to, really. Hard not to. Uh, so let us again tell people uh, about the book. Uh, where they can get it. Also tell people where they can find you and your other work. And if there's anything else to promote, let's go for it. Oh, well, just please buy just the funny parts. It will make you laugh. We all need to laugh these days. And um, you've probably never heard of me, but I bet you've laughed at one of my jokes. (laughs) (laughs) That's easy enough. Uh, On Twitter, you are... uh... Nelsco. Nelsco. Right. There we go. N-E-L-L-S-C-O. Um, they can get the the book on Amazon. I'm assuming they can get it basically anywhere. Right? They can yeah. get it everywhere. Uh, good. And then go watch something she's written because it's you've written everything. You've written a little bit of everything. I wish, <laughs> I got to say, I wish I could get the Smothers Brothers. It's not available anywhere to the best of my knowledge. And that's something I would like to revisit a ton. Because boy, oh, oh which boy. one the, the the Smothers Brothers because the old show and the the revival that you were oh, a part of yeah. because holy cow there's so much good stuff on both. Um, yeah, oh. I do love Smothered. That is a great documentary. And those it's guys were heroes. Very they good. were anti-war, and um, you know, really, uh, truly counterculture. Yeah. I, uh, I'm one of those people who really likes to talk about comedy with a, with a point of view and not just a point of view, but sometimes with yeah. a, an axe to grind, I don't mind it if it's really well done. I mean, you know, you'd be, I think it'd be a little silly to deny that Murphy Brown has always had a bit of one of those. And that's why I've always loved it. You know, that's, that's a, I haven't watched the new show, but I, you know, the original show, even as a kid that always struck me as, Oh, this show's trying to do something and trying to say something. And I liked that. 
So I don't know. I, I, I think it's respectful. Yeah. Um, oh, great. Thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for listening. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years.